0: Today we're getting in-depth with BAFTA and Oscar-nominated cinematographer Ari Wegner who lends Jane Campion's incredible film The Power of the Dog. Here she is talking about her art.
1: The great thing about filmmaking is it's an art so there are no really rules about what's right or wrong and the way you do it is unique to you and that's what you should foster and embrace. There's no reason to try and be like anyone else.
0: Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm gonna get that gun of
1: mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a
0: spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is in partnership with The Power of the Dog, which is currently on Netflix. The film comes from the director of The Piano, Jane Campion, and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith mcphee Based on Thomas Savage's 1967 novel of the same name, it tells of a wealthy rancher, Phil, who plays devious power games with his brother George's new wife and her son. Nominated for eight BAFTAs and 12 Academy Awards, The Power of the Dog is a psychological Western that explores jealousy, sexuality, and much more. It's
1: just a man, Peter.
0: Only another man.
1: <laughs> a man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? I did not save her.
0: The Power of the Dog is also an extraordinarily looking film, so I'm thrilled to welcome director of photography Ari Wegner, who's the first woman to be nominated for the cinematography BAFTA and only the second to be nominated for the Oscar. Ari, welcome to Girls
1: on Film. Thanks for having me.
0: Well... Absolutely thrilled to have you on here. The Power of the Dog is an incredible film, and we're going to get in depth with that later. Well, actually, first of all, congratulations on your awards nominations. Thank you. Thank you. Very much deserved. Extraordinary that you are the first woman to be nominated in the cinematography category at BAFTA. How's that feel?
1: Feels great, actually. I mean, it's maybe a slightly sad state of affairs that I'm the first, but it does also feel like progress to so kind of break that drought, so to speak. I'm very honoured.
0: Exactly. May there be many more. A lot of our listeners are in the industry, but some aren't. So I'm curious, when you meet people who aren't in the industry and they say, what do you do? What's your job? How do you like describe what you do?
1: Being a cinematographer, it's not one job. It's kind of hundreds of little jobs. Basically, anything you see in front of the camera, anything in the frame is, has had the cinematographer's input at some point. But our main job, really, I think of it kind of as a translator from the director's vision to to the screen working with the director to decide basically how they want the film to look and then executing that you know on the, on the shoot day you could have up to on on something very big would be a hundred or it can be much smaller it can be just a few but under your direction and who need your import to to do their job
0: that's a lot isn't it wow that's amazing when and how did you get into this game
1: I went to film school in Melbourne, Australia. When I graduated, I kind of just kept shooting short films with that bunch of people and the kind of peripheral crowd that kind of tends to accumulate around a film school. And I started being a camera assistant as well on some bigger productions. Eventually just pushed on with the shooting and and let being a camera assistant go and went from doing shorts and music videos and then eventually longer, longer films and bigger films and each project being a progression.
0: What do you think it is about it that attracted you, that, that you first really made you passionate about
1: wanting to do this? Yeah, what attracted me to cinematography, I think, is the the two things I was really obsessed with as a teenager, basically, which was photography and stories, writing and reading and writing, stories and fiction. Cinematography kind of mashes those two together and that it's visual storytelling. And then I love working with people and I love working with directors. It's also it's artistic, it's highly technical. And it's also a lot of relationships, spending time with people. And every day is so different as well. There's literally no two shots that are ever the same and no two situations that are the same. And you learn on each one, but you're, you're never bored. There's a huge amount of travel and meeting new people and challenges. It's kind of all the things that I love in one role.
0: Oh, you're doing the job you love. That's fantastic. Where were you when you got the call from Jane Campion about The Power of the Dog?
1: I live in Melbourne and Melbourne has these sweltering hot Christmases. I know that might be hard to believe for a Northern (laughs) Hemisphere audience, but it was a full on heatwave. One Christmas, eventually decided I was going to, I had to bite the bullet and go to the supermarket to do my kind of Christmas lunch grocery shopping. And I was walking through the aisles, my phone rang and said, Jane Campion. And I genuinely thought it was an accidental call because my name starts with A. Sometimes I get I, get I have the same problem calling me. <laughs> yeah,
0: with A, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so I answered expecting to hear the rustly kind of pocket sounds and, um, yeah, it was Jane. She said, how are you doing? What are you up to? What are you doing the next couple of years? And would you like to hear more about this book that I'm adapting? And, yeah, would you like to know more about this project? And, of course, yeah, when you get that call, it's the answer is always yes absolutely
0: that's a bit of a no brainer isn't it from Jane Campion but it's, it's interesting when you say next couple of years because it is a huge commitment something like this isn't it I mean just watching it you can tell how much time and preparation has gone into it
1: open up the gate let him out you sure he's not ready go on let him out
0: it's just a man Peter only another man <laughs> Can you talk me through the preparation process? Because it was particularly long in this case, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, two years is on the extreme end of a of a commitment and kind of COVID pushed that <laughs> longer as well. Um, but yeah, usually you'd probably get maybe eight weeks or ten weeks and it can be as, as little as maybe four weeks to prepare for a feature film. So in this case, Jane wanted to have a cinematographer that would be working with her throughout the year leading up to the shoot and... There were some really big decisions that needed to be made quite early because of this. As you can see in the film, there's there's a lot. There was a lot of building to be done. There was a location to be found. There's visual effects to be planned, and that always has a better outcome when you have time. And so, the first thing we did was go and um, find the location. And it was really important to us that we were scouting for the location at the same time of year that we were going to be shooting that part of the world. New Zealand, the grass changes color completely from winter it's incredibly green and then by the end of summer it's almost this metallic white dry completely sun bleached kind of crispy hay fever nightmare (laughs) (laughs) it is going to be a huge part of the frame then we had conversations about everything basically color was a really big thing and aspect ratio how to lay out the house and what the house would look like how to shoot cattle how to shoot people on horseback talking, how are we going to integrate the visual effects so they'll be completely invisible? What should we, what do we build? What's going to be visual effects and what's not? And then you start going into the real details of what gear you need, what the schedule is going to be, et cetera, but, but planning with as much time as possible between an idea and and when you have to kind of start making some real decisions. Because what's great when you have time is you're not, you're not going to be shooting your first draft idea. You You'll have time to have an idea, refine it, throw it away, start again, come back to something you threw away, go sleep on it for really months before you have to actually make a decision. And and then even on the day, you can always change your mind. Just having time to have thought about not just an option, but as many options as you can think of. I think you really see that in the, in the craft, in the film.
0: Were you living and breathing the power of the dog in this time and kind of dreaming almost? 100%.
1: Yeah, I was I was obsessed. Once I read the book and I knew we were going to be shooting in a year's time, I couldn't think about anything else really. It was just, it was a real pleasure to go into that world. And as the internet tends to be, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down and about Montana in the 1920s, cattle ranching, anything from lighting fixtures to seasonal cattle cycles and fencing options and really everything everything that I could find I would just devour it
0: detail is clearly very important to you and to Jane is there anything if people are going back to watch this a second time or indeed a first time anything that you are particularly proud of that they can look out for I mean in the whole darn thing quite frankly is, is amazing I mean I've seen it on the big screen twice and I and you know in the second time I started noticing loads from your perspective any particular scenes or moments to look out for
1: I think what I love is actually like the film is very consistent. There's no kind of bits where you're like, well, this is the good bit and that bit we could have done better, you know. <laughs> I like to think actually it's kind of, it has a consistently kind of attention to detail and everything, but Jane is so, her eye and her gut instincts are so incredible. If, if something stands out, she can look at a frame and, and find the thing that's not working and she can also spend hours just with the textiles team just talking about tablecloths and details of the tablecloth and what knives and forks will be there and everything's been considered and everything's been run by me and gone through discussions with Grant Major, production designer, and cross-checked with everyone. And that's why it takes so long as well because there is nothing that, that you just grab <laughs> you know when you're shooting a film in the 1920s you can't just pan a camera anywhere and shoot shoot it you, every every detail has to have been considered and especially when you're shooting a, a film in it not in the country that it's set in you really have to do a double kind of due diligence to know like is was that was that really there if I think it's something I'm particularly can't quite say proud of because it wasn't necessarily me but the the barn set I really loved and that kind of incredible is a few months before we shot there it was a a sheep paddock and there was nothing there and then within a few months you've got a barn which not only is a beautiful space but it feels like it's been there for a long time it really feels like it has history and it has age and it has and it's very settled in the place that it is that's incredible kind of craftsmanship from the art department to know like what is it that makes something feel like it's been there a long time? What are, what level of dressing and props do you need? Level of dirt and dust and scenic painting to age it. Level of imperfection and, and kind of damage and repair and all the things that happen over the life of a, a structure or building to make it feel like you never doubt that this place is real and that it's been here for a long time You it has rhythms to it it has microculture of this is where you come in and this is where you work and layers upon layers and, and what you see in the film is what we shot but you could do just as detailed a shot on any part of that building and and it'd still be perfect there was you know horse stalls and hay up in the loft and tools in the boxes and beautiful beautiful work
0: That's wonderful. Everything just feels so incredibly real that you don't even you're never taken away from the movie as a viewer. And hearing you speak about it, I can can see why. Can you talk to me about the characters and how you as a cinematographer might shoot different characters to sort of aid their characterization and their journey in the film?
1: What struck me when I first read the book actually was how alluring and how exciting each of these characters were. Once the story kicks off and they're all in each other's lives, they become very intertwined, not unlike, as Jane described it, like the rope. Each one plays an equal part and they're all related and interconnected and got these little couples that are kind of Phil and George. And then we have Rose and Peter. Each character is, yeah, really central and integral part of this kind of the dynamic what you doing getting mixed up with her you are marvelous rose we were married Sunday. in terms of how we shoot different characters definitely phil i mean he is the protagonist as much as this this kind of four characters he's he is the one who you're mostly with and and also was important because without giving away too many spoilers, we knew the viewer really needed to be with Phil to kind of overlook the same things that he does and underestimate Peter in in the same way that he does. In many ways, we get tricked by Peter as well, the viewer, right up until the same point that Phil does. He is the main character in this film and he's also a very prickly character, so he doesn't give away much. In fact, he's actively kind of masking and, and, and keeping some of his life very private. So you can't have a character who's too cold for an audience. Otherwise you kind of lose interest in someone that's just, it's actually kind of a really tricky thing in filmmaking. You've got someone who's upset, say, about something. If you don't, as a viewer, know what that something is, you're just kind of watching someone in a sulky mood <laughs> versus knowing this is grief or this is grief mixed with nostalgia, mixed with loss and resentment and regret and <laughs> fear and those two experiences, experiences—knowing not knowing what they're thinking about versus knowing what they're thinking about. They're two completely different viewing experiences for for a viewer. So it's really, really important to us that as a viewer you could know all of those things as you're watching, Phil, or they, they kind of come to reveal themselves. There's only so much too many times you can watch someone and not know why they're upset before you kind of lose interest. I guess for Phil, we, we kind of set up this kind of relationship, a marriage actually that's falling apart. You know, him and his brother, they're, they literally sleep in the same room. They've lived together forever. They have the way of doing things. And when the story starts, we're witnessing kind of as the start of a breakup. We don't really know why, but they've grown quite distant. Guess this is it. What's it, Phil? What's it? All right, So I'll tell you what it is. 25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. That's a long time. Not too damn long. And so for us, as an example, the first probably five or ten minutes we see, even in the blocking of where they are moving, we see Phil going towards George trying, like, He's kind of like a, a puppy. He's trying to get his attention. and like, hey, let's talk about, let's get nostalgic, like let's, let's chat. And George is more of the freight train that just is going straight ahead and he's so disinterested. So you can see that in some of the blocking that Phil's moving around and George is just still, even when they're on the cattle drive, George goes in a kind of slow straight line and Phil rushes up behind him and he comes on one side and tries to chat to him. He comes on the other side and tries to chat to him and then he kind of goes off in a half trying, trying, trying um, to get George's attention and to reel him into this, back into a nostalgia. And so that's one of the ways, I guess, like as an example, the, the blocking, like how characters move. Um, and that's partly, you know, Jane and I thinking of ideas and then bringing the actors into that. If that feels emotionally right for them and they can make that work, that's the kind of collaboration at work to see I have an idea, Jane's into it, how can we have a physical manifestation of that like the blocking and then you know as phil's character develops it comes a point where we need to know a little bit more otherwise he's just kind of an aggressive kind of uh, repulsive bully that it's not terribly interesting to watch for too long you you really can't attach yourself emotionally to someone like that but it comes a point where we're, in order to stay um, interested in this person we need to know a little bit more something that's going to surprise us and that um comes in this film in the form of seeing phil alone in a private place that he goes to. We get to see a side of him that he hasn't shown to anyone else. And for that sequence, we both chose a a completely different location visually. We've gone from the very dry, sun-bleached world of this ranch, which is dusty and the sun's intense and it's bleached bleached out colours and browns and golds, and then we go into this lush, kind of almost through a portal into another world, literally, through a tunnel into a world that is green and the light's dappled. There's a river flowing. There's grass that you might want to lie down in. It feels very private and protected and then in that sequence we also thought that a handheld camera would allow another kind of level of freedom and access and when the camera's handheld I think it adds a kind of a level of spontaneity and freedom that Phil experiencing and we're experiencing it with him as a viewer and and also kind of almost discovery as well playfulness and it both allowed Jane and Benedict and I to work together in a kind of dance that we could let a scene really develop and have that no preconceptions of what's right or wrong. And it's very kind of in the spirit of the headspace that fills in. And also there's something about when a camera is handheld, coming very physically close to someone who's quite prickly, really unlocks something for a viewer. I think you find that you are more sympathetic maybe towards someone who's pushed you away a bit and now you're given this access in a private space where you're quite up close to him. You can go from feeling quite repulsed by him or or kind of put off to feeling a kind of empathy and obviously it requires also incredible performances, which we uh, were very blessed by, an incredible skill to play almost two characters in one and believe that this is another side of the same person, not two different people altogether. That was kind of our approach to Phil, and then but it's very holistic because it also involves, say, he has this incredibly beautiful and quite iconic silhouette, for example. He has a hat very tight-fitting kind of overalls and buttoned-up neck, buttoned-up arms, so it's very almost skin-tight top layer and then these woolly pants that are kind of like Jane would call them like a satyr, like it's kind of a half-animal, half-man kind of monster, beast, and also very beautiful kind of mythical legend, (laughs) you know, Um, and then there's boots, obviously. Yeah, exactly, yeah, very kind of mythic character. Um, so yeah, I've got the hat, a very visible kind of well-built torso, his woolly legs, and then these big boots with a kind of spur and a kind of menacing as well. So that as well was kind of part of his whole design, I guess. And and then you see Benedict, what he brings to that and how he how he walks, how he holds himself, his posture and his kind of confidence and ownership of this place. And then and then a vulnerability that we get to see when he's in private as well. So, all those things. I guess it's it's not just the cinematography, it's not just the angles or the camera movement, but it's a very holistic kind of way of shaping a character and how they how they move in the blocking. Um, how the camera relates to them, how close the camera is to them. And and then there's other shots, like very early on we see Phil, the tracking shot that takes him through the... We see him from inside um, the dining room, him walking through the yard, approaching the house. And at first we see him very, you know, he's confident, kind of strut. As soon as you see him, you you know this is his place, he's the big boss around here. And then later on we will repeat the same shot um, much later in the film, right towards the end where almost everything's changed, He's stumbling along... His clothing's changed as well at that point. He's quite confused and by having that kind of repetition and a similar framing and seeing how much his posture's changed, how he's physically changed, he needs help to move and walk that makes you think back to what your impressions were of him when you first met him. Very holistic kind of shaping of how, how a character comes across on screen. But also, hopefully, you don't want an audience to be aware of any of that either. That's kind of what's going on underneath the hood. Yeah,
0: it's absolutely fascinating listening to you talk about it because when you a film like this, when when I watched as I said, I was immersed by it, and you just feel like you're in completely safe hands and you just go with the story and it takes you completely into the story. But it is fascinating hearing you discuss that. And I'll go back again and watch that scene. I know that the first scene you spoke about is a a very significant one for a lot of people. I know a lot of people were very moved by that. I want to ask you about Kirsten Dunst's character as well because, um, again, on second viewing... You get, I got so much from her performance and her character as a feminist and, and watching this woman who's being completely manipulated and, and emotionally abused by a man. Can you talk to me a bit about how your job fed into that character and that development?
1: We find Rose first as a very capable, confident woman, single mother, widow, running a small business, being able to cook single-handedly cook and clean and, and and run a hotel and a restaurant in, in some very tough circumstances and she's cheerful and she's popular and she she's got like a not easy but very you know she's got a she's got a real life going on and her son's helps her and they're very tight and a lot of time we think about what's the first image you see of a character what's the very first impression and for us that was her she's mopping a floor but she's not kind of you know Cinderella. <laughs> she's not kind of, well, with me. She's just doing her job. And she's wearing pants. She's very strong. Someone comes in and, and tells her what, how many there's going to be for dinner. And she kind of takes that in her stride and keeps moving. We think about how do you first see someone? And I think the shot is it kind of tilts up from the mop up to her. She feels kind of, yeah, at ease in this place. We introduce the idea of her, her son and that they have a very a very close relationship. And really loves her son for who he is. She compliments on, him on his the flowers that he's made and his scrapbook, and you get the sense that they're maybe dreaming of a of a different, more comfortable life, but it's also a dream at that point. It's probably not going to happen. I wonder what little lady made these. <laughs> Actually, I did, sir. My mother was a florist. So I made them to look like the ones in our garden. Oh well, do pardon me. They're just as real as possible. Mm. In terms of the shooting, we want to see, yeah, her whole physicality and and her strength, and we want to see like her emotion as well and we need close shots and wide shots and also see this kind of sense of movement. She's mopping, she comes upstairs, she's stripping the bed, she's going back down. Yeah, she's active, capable. Not too long after that we have a scene where, really the pivotal scene where all the four characters for the first time they're in the same room and it goes very badly for poor Peter and, and Rose because they're completely humiliated by this man, Phil. He really does it for his own entertainment and kind of the entertainment of this group of men. And we really see Rose kind of trying to be very stoic, but we see that she's really hurt by especially how her son is humiliated for the th- for the very things that she really loves about him—that he helps in the kitchen and that he makes flowers and is friendly. He's really the really most painful thing is kind of to be humiliated for the very things that you kind of are a big part of your identity and feel smart like that so he knows as well specifically what to go for which is also kind of terrifying finding the shots that really show her emotion the right angles and and also it starts to build this kind of theme we had of we're in a film where maybe because of the time and place or or just even in Phil's case it's too dangerous, but to, to say what you're really thinking and to talk about what you're experiencing is, is not the done thing. So there's even a moment where we see Rose serving the chicken and she's doing it with such spite and such, you see, she's freaking angry um, and upset and we see her hands resentfully kind of serving up this chicken to these men that she then has to go and serve their dinner. And we see that actually throughout the film, this, this theme of kind of, not being able to say it but the hands are going to show it so we've also seen it early on we see Peter's character cutting up the flowers and so thoughtful and meticulous and precise and later we we get to see Phil for example polishing the saddle very kind of close and there's a kind of sensuality to it and also a kind of longing and nostalgia and grief and then further on we see Phil kind of Right towards the end, for example, making the rope with Peter in the room and there's again a kind of erotic tension that comes from the way that he's braiding this rope and kind of lubricating it and you know, his tight shots of rolling a cigarette in a very sensual kind of way. So yeah, that that goes for all the characters, I guess, but but this idea that we're oh, so sorry and see in those earlier scenes Peter's hand very close on the comb, we see his kind of like anxiety that he despite his strength, is also does feel it he feels very strongly despite the fact he doesn't let on so yeah then Rose's character we eventually um find her in the kind of lion's den of Phil's house which is we get to see her transformation from a a confident bubbly person to really someone who's had a war waged against them a psychological warfare <laughs> she really starts to crumble under that pressure her outfits change, she's kind of gone up in social status, but her mental health is really declining. So she, we see her kind of wearing more gowns and, and dresses and, again, choosing these fabrics which are not well-suited for the environment she finds herself in, which only kind of further isolates her from the people around her. For us, I think as well, choosing kind of Jane and I choosing, uh, working with Kirsty Cameron now, uh, costume designer, we're choosing kind of colours that actually, in many ways, kind of outside of, of the colour palette. The film in general has kind of specific colour palette of browns and golds and silvers and, and dusty kind of colour palette, and, and, we, and we wanted Rose to feel separate from that. She's such a she, the poor thing. She's such an outsider. She's so unwelcome. So in many ways, the more she tries, the worse it gets for her, the more she kind of tries different outfits and, and stuff, and so her outfits are kind of more in the pinks and reds to separate her from the landscape.
0: Every scene that you mention, I think that's my favourite scene. And then you mentioned another one. Like, They're just so extraordinary, Like particularly the scene where you first meet Rose. And I thought, yeah, incredible. It's really fascinating to hear you talk about it. I feel like this could be like a DVD commentary. You could just like watch the film and listen to you talk about it at the same time. In fact, listeners, give that a go. I love this. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about working with Jane as a female director. Do you think, is it insulting to even bring it down to gender? Or do you think there is something especially magical or slightly different that happens when a female female cinematographer works with a female director?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot and I really don't know because I guess, you know, I've only ever been my own gender. I don't know what it's like to be kind of in the body of someone else. So, I mean, I think there is a different relationship that two women have versus a man and a woman or two men. And I don't know if I can quantify it, but there's definitely a kind of, I don't know if necessarily working together is different, but it's maybe the bits around it you know <laughs> the conversations you have around it and the but then again every director is so different and that's what's special about every director's kind of got their own way of working their own vision what interests them what they're not interested in or what doesn't bother them and that's what makes every kind of director unique it's it's so much more than gender it's kind of a small part but that is to say I guess as well that our identities are made up of or like what we're interested in and what our the things we want to say are made up of the totality of all our experiences in our life, and I guess those experiences are, because we kind of live in a somewhat gendered <laughs> world, those experiences are made up in part by how the world sees us and the interactions we have. So undeniably, those experiences and, and the things that we can relate to are, can be different for a man and a woman. I think it comes down to kind of when people talk about gays or like, is there a female gaze, is there a male gaze, I think it really is just like what interests us And how we see the world through kind of, we look at, if a gaze is like a look and we look at what interests us. And I think for different people, that's very different, but it's, it's all comes from kind of your life experience and, and you, everyone sees things in a different way, but based on what experiences they've had for someone can experience a situation, for example, seen in a film quite neutrally, if they've never had a direct experience, but that, Watching that film, if you've had any relatable experience, is going to be a lot more emotionally charged if that scene brings up memories or experiences for you. I mean, I've worked with male and female directors and every director is so different that I don't think we could categorise it as men and women. They don't really fit as neatly into those categories when I think about their similarities and differences.
0: To sum up, as the first woman nominated in this category for a BAFTA and only the second for an Oscar... What advice would you give anyone listening who is keen to get into your industry, particularly young women?
1: I'd say just go for it, you know. <laughs> I, um, I'd um, i never heard of the term female cinematographer until way after I'd already started shooting short films. I had no idea. I was so, you know, maybe I was not, so naive. Luckily, maybe at the time, no one ever... I was just blissfully unaware that it wasn't a traditional role for women. I just started doing it because I wanted to do it. And it really interested me and I couldn't really help myself. You know, I just wanted to. And started in high school kind of playing around with, with the camera and taking photos and then doing videos. And I don't know. I don't know if it would have made me want to do it more or want to do it less if I'd found out that this wasn't supposedly what women were supposed to do or no woman had ever made it to the pinnacle or if that's what you think it is, you're like winning an Oscar in this craft. I don't know if it would have turned me off or excited me, but I was literally unaware of the kind of greater context in which I was doing it so I'd say for young people that are interested just just go for it the best way to learn something is by doing it there's only so much you can learn from watching other people's work be it films or you know YouTube videos or all the how-to's it's great to see how other people do it because it can inform and help you hone what what your interest is but the most exciting thing is to just do it yourself and find out what what interests you. The great thing about filmmaking is it's an art. So there are no really rules about what's right or wrong. And the way you do it is unique to you. And that's what you should foster and embrace. There's no reason to try and be like anyone else because that person's already done it. (laughs) Um, You should try and do what you want to do and yeah, just go for it.
0: Excellent advice. Thank you so much. And listen, we're really rooting for you this awards season and hoping that you, that you make history, um, more history. Um, best of luck in awards season. And thank you so much for sharing your your thoughts and your experiences. It's been really fascinating talking to you, Ari. Thank you. Oh,
1: thanks so much.
0: That was Ari Wegner. The Power of the Dog is available to watch now on Netflix and also in Sun Cinemas. Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Emma Butt, assistant producer Shania Pithia, and our partners for this episode, The Power of the Dog. I'm Anna Smith, and I was joined by Ari Wegner. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.
1: I taught you I teach
0: you. <sighs>